We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. That, I think, is one of the things that seems to have really resonated with people is is, is how real the show feels. And uh, for us as actors, like, that is all we ever want to hear, is it just seems so real. Like, it's just the highest compliment anyone can ever be paid. Kate Winslet made quite the splash this year playing the no-nonsense detective Mare Sheehan in the critically acclaimed, now Emmy-nominated HBO original limited series Mayor of Easttown. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Kate Winslet about Mayor of Easttown and the universal acclaim for the series, which has also earned her an Emmy nomination for Limited Series Actress. Later in the episode, standout Saturday Night Live cast member Bowen Yang discusses the unusual year starring on the show in the middle of COVID, and yes, we talk all about his iconic moment as the Titanic iceberg. But first, on the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast Roundtable, as Emmy voting continues, we discuss the drama categories, and oh yeah, we get into that Jeopardy drama as well. It's all next on Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Right back at you with another roundtable. I'm your host, Mike Richards, and I'm here to take it. Wait. So, Mike I'm Richards? I'm sorry. Man, how mean. I, I feel like you should I've have already, fallen. I've already been fired. Leave it in. Replaced by Michael Schneider. So oh we'll get to we'll get to that in a moment. Jazz Tanke, welcome. Hello. Uh, Yes. Danielle Tertiano in the house. Guess we're leaving that. I wasn't really sure. I thought we were starting over. Okay, hi. Oh, I did that on purpose, by the way. Okay. I honestly couldn't tell you. I'm a really good actor. Me either. That's why I was like, I like it, but also I don't know if we're keeping it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Emmy goes to Michael Schneider. That was (laughs) very convincing. Next year, it'll just be us and we'll be talking about Mike. Right? I I think we should start submitting our podcast video as uh, Emmy contenders. (laughs) And that voice you hear is the return of the one and only Janelle Riley. Janelle. Hi. Welcome back. I'm afraid that Mike Schneider won't be allowed around long, though. I hear he's got some stuff in his past. Yeah, yeah, some shock jock, uh, you know, <laughs> tape in my past. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. Wow. That was quite a. Uh, that was quite a Friday. Um, I got to. Uh, it was a rare day of doing a whole bunch of TV hits. I hadn't uh, cut my hair. There were some critics online who did not appreciate my appearance on GMA and Extra and a couple other places. Hey, you know, it's the pandemic, people. What do you expect? I'm just here. I'm just here doing the best I what? can. You look perfect. 
perfectly fine to me. Who are these people? And let's get their addresses. <laughs> yeah. But but did they did they rate your room? That's the real question. I'm really upset. I've never been on Rate Your Room, considering how many videos I have out there. I was actually just complaining about this today. I was doing a recording, and I was like, I'm I'm just giving up because Rate My Room is ne- is never gonna never gonna show me any love. Yeah, I feel like we have to submit, submit you. Yeah, because yeah. at this point, there's no way they'll just stumble upon yeah, it. I feel like in the early <laughs> days, maybe, but yeah, we'll just have to send it in. Yeah, Janelle, you've always you've had sort of a nice background. I think Danielle with her uh, uh, Disney uh, Lego castle definitely should be in there at some point. Oh, well, the, the sad thing is that usually I'm asked to sit in front of it to block it. So for most uh, outwardly facing panels that I do, no one can see it. Um, it's distracting, I have been told, which, you know, fair. Uh, well, I usually uh, put a bunch of variety covers behind me, but I find that if it's not for a variety event, they're like, we don't want people to think this is a variety panel, so please remove your variety covers. Yeah, why are you doing <laughs> non-variety events, Michael? <laughs> you know, I can't say I'm, anything. <laughs> exactly. I'm a boy who can't say no. I'm available <laughs> for podcasts, for panels, for hosting gigs. Uh, Jeopardy, call me up. <laughs> I, I know you need someone. <laughs> <laughs> I did you. I, I know everybody thought that it was on purpose, but apparently LeVar Burton wishes everybody a happy Friday every Friday. And the way it lined up in my Twitter feed was, you know, there was the variety story on Twitter about Mike Richards out as Jeopardy host. And right underneath that was LeVar Burton saying, happy Friday, everyone. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I thought that was actually a loaded happy Friday. Was it honestly just a... Uh... Someone told me that he does that every Friday. I you would think that I would have looked into it, but I'm 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 choosing to believe it was a coincidence because it's funnier that way. But yeah. I did. I really loved Ryan Reynolds's tweet. I don't know if you saw that, where he talked about how he re- he only became Deadpool because of the fans, and how like the studio didn't see it, but the fans kept pushing. And then at the end, he just said, "Hi, Lavar Burton." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah, but at this point, like, does LeVar even want it? You know, like, Mike's still the EP. Obviously, Mike has been outed as a problematic history slash probably still happening. And would you, as someone who is a person of color who has probably, you know, experienced a lot of negativity in this industry, want to step into that environment full time? I don't know. I'm curious. Question. Yeah. I mean, it's still a good gig. That is a still a yeah. good gig, and, and, and I, that could, yeah, and that I have gig a feeling could last for years. it could last for years. And I have a feeling that, you know, whoever the host is, you know, hopefully they'll pick someone, and the audience will be on their side. And you know, maybe the EP won't be able to mess things up as much. I don't know. Yeah. Well, do you, do any of you watch Jeopardy regularly? Have you paid attention Fairly to Fairly regularly, kind of kind of off and on. It's actually I'm embarrassed to admit I'm a hardcore Wheel of Fortune viewer. <laughs> so, it's on the Wheel of Fortune, so I usually just sort of catch the end. Yeah. Are you Not. serious, Janelle? <laughs> I love Wheel of Fortune. I mean, I, I, I enjoy Wheel yeah, of Fortune. That's I, not why I was laughing, by the way. I oh, enjoy God. Wheel of Fortune. I love Wheel of Fortune and um like I used to have a roommate and like, I, this is like the the weirdest flex ever, but I'm really good at it. Like there's just <laughs> been like, like three letters that pop up and I know what it is and I always know what it is, but I know that if I actually went on the show, I would choke. 
I would choke so yeah. bad. Yeah, That's I used to have all, yeah. the board game, and I used to love the Wheel of Fortune board game. No it was, way. Oh my you know, back in the eighties, nineties, whatever, and you had a little wheel that you would spin, and then yeah. all of the the letters you had to manually flip. They were like these little cardboard, almost like Guess Who. They're these little cardboard pieces that you'd flip, but it was annoying because, like, in between rounds, you had to have somebody there designated to change the the be words Vanna. behind. Yeah. 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 But like more than Vanna, Vanna touches a button and the letter changes. Somebody backstage programmed it. Somebody would have to like slip the things into the, and so you could never really do a game in any good amount remember, of time. Remember when Vanna actually had to turn the letters, not right. just touch yeah. them? Yeah. Right. And remember when you could buy back. things with your prize money? You could oh, buy like, yeah. the Dalmatian statue. Yeah. Oh. Remember, it was always at like that bar of Toblerone that was like five hundred dollars. <laughs> like, why would you buy a bar of Toblerone for five hundred dollars? Because if that's all you have is five hundred dollars, yeah. you have to go home with something. Yeah. I'm, so, ba- I'm... so back back then, I thought that was like the fanciest chocolate in the world. Like, clearly, <laughs> this must be like the gold standard of chocolate, Toblerone. They say it just went to the airport. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, <laughs> that's the gift that you bring if you haven't if you've forgotten chocolates. It's like. Grab a bar of Toblerone. <laughs> I'm such a Wheel of Fortune geek. A few months ago, Vanna missed a letter. It wasn't her fault. It lit up after she walked past it. And she had to go back and hit it again. And Pat had to be like, oh, Vanna, you missed one. And I, it was huge to me. I like, I took a video and I put it out. And I was like, I've been watching this for 30 years. And Vanna's never missed a letter. And people got really angry at me because they were like, well, it wasn't her fault. And I was like, I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying this is huge. <laughs> Vanna, Vanna, you have one job. It's <laughs> oh, the letters. That is astounding that the the two of them are still there. Yeah, that, that and they Vanna look the same. Paycheck. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure like the magic of television, <laughs> they keep the camera back a little further. But good on them. Good on them. Yeah. Um. So well, that's our our game show chunk. Um. Hey, so we're in the middle of voting right now, and people are voting for for them Emmys and. It's uh, the the last ditch, uh, you know, campaigning. Did any of you? Uh, actually, Janelle, I think I saw you got some pizza this weekend. I did too. You hit the Geno's East. Uh, yeah, Geo. Um, Geno's East is actually like one block away from where I live, so I regularly get their deep dish pizza because it's pretty delicious. And I said, you know what? I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to try the thin tavern crust, and it was freaking amazing. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. So shout out to City So Real, I suppose, for our pizzas. Uh, yeah. So I actually, uh, I went there because I called up, ordered my pizza. They said 7.30. I drove all the way out there. And they said, no, we meant 7.30 Sunday. <gasps> what? So oh, no. But here's what a sucker I am for free food. I still turned around and went the next day and got it. <laughs> you know, I'm a journalist. Free food's my so- middle name. I, I see. I, I was too lazy to go, and I'm not that. I'm like a couple miles, yeah. and I was like, I don't. It, they won't deliver. Never mind. I was almost too lazy, and like I said, it's a block away. So I'm really impressed you went back, Michael. And what time did you call on Saturday? Um, it was like middle of the day, but they they had a run on. Oh, pizza. they were. There, yeah, they. There was they told a me. there was a line. It was it was intense, but you know. I was first thing Sunday, and something I thought was really cool was that they, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just like. Hey, we're partnering with Nat Geo. They they like knew the documentary. You know, they were talking about it. They were like they, they were like actually very passionate about the cause, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's on point. It's, you know, like 
what better than to celebrate a documentary about Chicago and Chicago politics than eating a deep dish? And it was delicious. Jazz, did you, did you get your pizza or no? I did not get my pizza. I did go to the Grove. I guess it was the weekend before when they did, when Netflix had their outside uh, FYC with the giant chessboard. And that was kind of amazing to see. And just, I watched little kids just sitting playing chess. I was like, pretty impressive. I didn't get any free food though. I arrived a day late, but it was still. Apparently everyone I know took advantage of the uh, Ted Lasso promotion. And got coffee, the biscuits right? and coffee. Yeah, but I don't know if that was free yeah. or not. It was a dollar. Oh, it was wow. like a dollar coffee and free biscuits, I think. Um, and I don't. I feel like it was mul- multiple times because I remember my friends were tweeting about it, and then like a week later, somebody was like, "We're doing it again." And I, was, yeah. I didn't know that was even happening, to be honest. But it was very popular amongst my friends on the socials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those biscuits yeah. are, are you, amazing. Yeah. Well, the biscuits are amazing, but my dog ate the last box, so. <laughs> Well, you know what? He deserves it too. He works hard too. It was yeah, he works hard sleeping all day on the couch. Yeah, I I it's so funny because I forgot that I had left the box on the floor and I went in the other room and I heard kind of like this snarfling sound, you know, like a hoovering sound and I was like, "Oh no." And I ran in the other room and the box had been obliterated. <laughs> Well, speaking of dogs, uh, we we had a special guest correspondent in this week's edition of Awards HQ, the newsletter, which I hope everyone listening also subscribes to. But uh, Madison uh, visited the the boys uh, pop up and filed a report. He's very upset. He can't eat any of the the great FYC food anymore since he's diabetic now. So he did not get any of the ice cream, but I had the ice cream and I thought it was great. So I just basically made him pose with the sand sculptures. Um, he seemed like he was fine. You know, he didn't understand why he was there, but he was fine. So, so basically everyone's still finding a way to feed voters, which is, uh, you know, what, what, <laughs> most the, important thing. one of the most important parts <laughs> of FYC is making sure everyone's fed. So, so very happy about that. Well, let's turn to this week's category and, and, uh, talk a little strategy when it comes to the drama series. So last week we talked about comedy and, and we all kind of agreed Ted Lasso pretty much fait accompli. Drama, I mean, the the feeling has been from the beginning, it's the crown, the crown, the crown. But, you know, you do have a couple of shows popping up there. You know, Pose, I think, is running a very effective campaign talking about making history. And, you know, that could be very compelling to, you know, some voters to make history. Uh, and you know, we we still have the question mark of the Mandalorian, which uh, oh, yeah. you know, does not campaign, but yet is just a show that what? gets a ton of nominations and gets, you know, got, got some serious below the line love last year. So what do you mean they don't campaign? Yeah. You mean Mando isn't out there giving out pizzas? <laughs> I've, I've not gotten any sort of little baby Yoda tchotchke. There's, there's no like edible frogs. Um, so. Oh, these are good ideas. And you're Too just soon. Them away. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, well, Danielle, let me start with you. What's, what's sort of your take right now on this race? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's between the crown and pose at the moment. I think um, there is something to be said for the fact that the crown is just always there. And it's, it's been so loved from the beginning. It's, it's never won, but it's come very close. And, I, you know, it feels like if it's going to win, this is going to be its year because succession's not here. And it feels like that's still a big hurdle to jump. Um, but, it, but I do agree with you. I think Pose is, is having a much 
I would say much more effective campaign. I, I, you know, the actors have been more visible and, and doing more of the, the language around it, having glad come out and write a, you know, a big statement and a big, um, op-ed really about the importance of the show, I think. And that seemed very organic to me. Um, that seems like that helps remind people, you know, Hey, it's great TV, but it's also groundbreaking in what it's doing. And then, you know, listen, they fed people. They had food trucks <laughs> out there as part of Disney Television Studios was blackish and pose. Um, and I think, you know, that signage helps that you can't, you can't always discount stuff like that. So, you know, there are some other shows that I feel like are maybe a little further ahead than I would have thought for similar reasons, just because of this groundswell of support around them. But I think when you look at who stands the chance, those are the top two to win. There's also something to be said for this is Pose's last season. Yeah. You know, it's we'll, we'll have another mm-hmm. chance to award the crown. It's also obviously Lovecraft Country's first, last, and only season. Um, some people might consider that. I just think the crown is going to be a juggernaut, though, because I think I think they're, the leads are probably winning. Um, Emma Corrin and, uh, oh, my God, I can't believe I just blanked on Josh's name. Josh O'Connor. O'Connor. You just yeah. said Josh. O'Connor. Yeah, I saw Josh, but I can't oh, remember oh. O'Connor. And, like, forgive me, I've been sick. Like, I know who Josh O'Connor is. I love Josh O'Connor. I think he's going to win. So uh, uh, please forgive me. Um, and obviously, I think Gillian Anderson is probably going to win as well um, in a very competitive category. Oh, my God. These acting categories are insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to Emma Corrin real quick, I mean, the one thing that, you know, Daniel mentioned that the the, the, the cast of Pose has really been out there. MJ uh, or Michaela yeah. J has really been out there, uh, including our podcast, and uh, has really been campaigning well. Um, you know, she is everywhere. And I think that could start to make a difference. I mean, I've, I'm... Yeah, really kind of like 50-50 right now on on if it's her or Emma. And because Olivia Coleman is in that category, if Olivia and Emma split that crown vote, then I would not be shocked to see MJ pick that up. Um, and, and that could be how the Academy recognizes Pose, even if it doesn't give Pose the best drama. But MJ is also, she was so overdue for this nomination. I, I'm. I can't believe it took them three years to recognize her. Yeah, she also has the narrative. Yeah, well, I think. Yeah, Jazz. Sorry. No, I was going to say she's the narrative of like making history, and we've been talking about that every you know every weekend. But I think this season, you know, I went back and rewatched some of the episodes, and it really is you know Blanca's season where she just shines, and the way that series ended with her story. I think she could, because they're everywhere, because you've got these op-eds coming out, um, she could squeak past Emma. Yeah, even if even if the crown wins best series. So what's what's your take on drama, Jazz? Drama? I think I have the crown. It is everywhere. You cannot escape the crown. And, you know, we could wake up tomorrow and there could be a royal family story. And that would just, you know, the byproducts that will help the crown get this push. But I think the crown, but, you know, two hours ago, I would have said maybe pose. Um, 
I don't know. Yeah. It, it is <laughs> what what, what just happened two hours ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what happened two hours ago? That- no, I don't know. Changes all the time. I mean, this whole thing is a bloodbath. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I'm still not counting out the Mandalorian. By the way, there's so much love for that. I'm sorry. There's a squirrel on my roof or something. Ignore <laughs> me. This is a really disturbing sound. Um, but apparently, the squirrel feels very strongly about the Mandalorian. Because as soon yeah. as I started to, oh yeah, oh gosh, he was eating my blinds. Okay. <laughs> well, I scared him off, but the squirrel says that he's a big Bridgerton fan and <laughs> thinks it's going to be the Mandalorian. Yeah. Squirrel's got an interesting uh, hot take. Um, and we haven't even talked about This Is Us. I mean, this is, you know, a, a big category. We mentioned the boys pop up. Um, like with the boys, just an honor to be nominated. And... Feels like, I mean, it's, it's huge that they got as many noms, but it's huge that they got the drama nom. I just don't see it going all the way. I think it opened a huge door for them to continue to rack up more noms going forward and, and to maybe have a stakehold in this category going forward. But it feels a little... The one thing that does make me sort of tip towards The Mandalorian is that uh, Giancarlo Esposito got that acting nomination. Like, I but he got, he's all... the only acting nom in the major yeah. category. Yeah. I mean, if you could nominate Baby Yoda, though, they would. Yeah. <laughs> category for Grogu, they would. Um, but it makes, because I thought it was all just tech support, and now I'm like, no, they're, they're showing some love to the actors. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. That's I mean, I also just feel like that's just Giancarlo's spot. You know what I mean? Like I Better Call say, Saul wasn't on, so yeah. he just kept, yeah. he kept that spot for a different show. You're right, you're right. That's hilarious. It, it uh, would have been, uh, you know, the, his, his Godfather of Har- Harlem show that, would have yeah, gotten yeah. nominated for that if, if it wasn't for Mandalorian. Like so, so many shows, honestly. There is the, yeah. the Giancarlo slot. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one show we haven't mentioned yet is the one former winner in this category, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it had a little bit more of a chance earlier in the season because it was when it was streaming the new episodes, it was legitimately something people were talking about, but it does feel like people have stopped talking about it. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Does it come down to just, it's still a tough, tough show um, to sort of digest or is it just people have quick, quick memories and moved on to something else? Yeah, I kind of feel like it's the memory, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it was exciting when it was new and it was do it did some really interesting and, and new things this season. So people genuinely wanted to talk about it. And we saw that rewarded with a lot of noms, but a lot then, of acting noms. Yeah. 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 But then I, you know, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. They, they haven't been out there that much. Um, there have, I don't feel like I've really seen a lot of a campaign for the show or for individuals. So I feel like maybe we'd be talking about it more if it was in our faces a little bit more. There are just some shows that we cannot ignore if we wanted to. I feel like maybe yeah. life is its, is its campaign. How surreal <laughs> life is now. Like, maybe Handmaid's Tale doesn't want to push it too much, if you know what I mean. Sad, but maybe. Yeah, yeah it was a really good season, yeah. too. A really yeah. good season. Yeah, that ending. I mean, the fact that Liz Garbus got the one director nom for that yeah. finale, uh, that said a lot. That finale was powerful. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And um, and, and we sort of, sort of satisfying at the same time. No, yeah. I Bruce and I, Bruce Miller, showrunner, and I did an interview after, and he kept saying things like, 
you know, people might have mixed feelings and I had to stop him and be like, mixed, I, maybe I'm a bad person. I have zero nope. mixed feelings. No. Like I was so excited by what I was watching and I'm sure, you know, nobody wants to lose Joe as an actor from future seasons. I'm sure you can use him in flashbacks. He's very talented, but I was so excited by what they did. Right. Right. And, and, you know, for viewers of the show, you sort of need that, you know, it's, it's uh, otherwise, you know, you, you need that sort of win quote unquote to, to sort of feel like there is movement. Ugh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, movement, but also you need to show the stakes. Like if there are characters on that show that have cheated death so many times, it's unrealistic to, to be able to say, no, we're not going to be precious. We will k- kill off some of our major players. That I think is important to say, don't get comfortable and also, you know, let's take the show into a new level. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe how long Janine has survived. That's who I was thinking. I love Madeline. <laughs> yeah. I think she's really no, talented. she's amazing. Yeah. But I was just like, Janine should have been dead, like, in season one. She's <laughs> so... She, I'm so glad that she was nominated this year, too. Yeah. She's fantastic. Um, the, the timeliness, though, like you were mentioning, uh, a couple weeks ago for the Awards HQ newsletter, I had uh, Warren Littlefield write a piece uh, basically talking a little bit about the uh, parallels to what's going on right now in Afghanistan and, and the concerns over this, you know, obviously ultra, uh, you know, religious terrorist organization basically slamming the door on women's rights and, and, and just the, the frightening real life parallels to what goes on in, in The Handmaid's Tale. It's, it's you know, tragic and, and just, you know, we're, we're witnessing history happening right now. So, yeah, obviously you don't want to ever, uh, you, you know, sort of trivialize real life when you're talking about a TV show, but Handmaid's Tale has always felt like more than just a TV show, but a, a real sort of, you know, cautionary tale of what could and feels like is happening in our country and around the world. So, and if nothing else, I would hope that like we we've all tuned into this show for four seasons. We should not be tuning out to this news that's happening. You know, mm-hmm. we maybe are a little distanced from it since it's not happening to us right now. But I would hope that the reason we've all stopped talking is not because we're ignoring what's happening. Right, that we're all aware. So, and then there's Bridgerton. Oh, Bridgerton is such a joy. Yeah. Bridgerton's nomination is its win in so many ways, I think, kind of like the boys. I mean, to come out with a first season like that, and yeah. And hey, by the way, I know I said that I think Josh O'Connor is winning. I also think that uh, Reggae Jean-Paul has... Paige. Paige. Damn it, I did it again. What is <laughs> with me in names today? <laughs> I swear I know who these people are. Oh my gosh, it's the antibiotics. <laughs> um, and also, Reggae should have been nominated for his uh, hosting work on Saturday Night Live. He was. Yeah, phenomenal. we talked about that the last time. Yeah. yeah. I really yeah. thought he was going to be. He too. was That's so crazy. good. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm happy Daniel Kaluuya was nominated um, for hosting Saturday Night Live. And I'm. Because I, he did such a fantastic job, but I really wanened to see Reggae in there, too. Yeah. But what speaking of. There? This is the only chance for Reggae to, to, to get the, at least the, the Bridgerton. Yeah, I feel like he'll come back as a guest star, and he'll get he'll get the Claire Foy treatment. He'll get the guest star nom. You know, (laughs) true. This is true. Yeah, yeah. Just just you wait. So I don't know if his bond schedule will allow for that. I mean, whoops. Maybe not in season two. (laughs) (laughs) 
are you talking about? Reggae jo- uh, John uh, Paul? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry. Somebody else. else. Somebody else. But, of his but, brother, yeah. Well, now that, that is going to spill out of my mouth at some point. But Reggae Jean Page, <laughs> new host of Jeopardy. Oh, oh, can you imagine? Oh, there you go. Let's start that right can now. Can you imagine? I'd watch. If you tweeted that? A lot of, <laughs> I, I will think, I do think a lot of people would tune in to Jeopardy who have never watched Jeopardy before if they suddenly brought in a celebrity guest host in that vein. But I don't know if that's a good thing for the show. No. Yeah. Also, Reggie would have to find a way to do it shirtless. <laughs> well, and then that's just a whole other yeah. show. <laughs> now we're just playing, uh, I don't know, Strip Jeopardy? I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, well, we'll worry about it when they need a new Wheel of Fortune host. Maybe he'll be ready at that point. I'm available. So. <laughs> I love the Wheel of Fortune. Spin, spin those wheels. Waiting for that. <laughs> well... Onward and upward. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Janelle, for stopping on by. Uh, Give our best to the squirrel. Danielle, we'll see you next week. And Jazz, we'll see you next week, too. Created and written by Brad Inglesby and directed by Craig Zobel, HBO's Mayor of Easttown stars Kate Winslet as Mayor Sheehan, a small-town Pennsylvania detective who investigates a local murder as life crumbles around her. Jean Smart plays her mother, and in this clip, Guy Pierce's character drops by to take Mare on a date. You look nice. Where are you going? I have a date. Oh, shit. All right, don't act so surprised. Well, I mean, is this somebody I know? Oh, his name is Richard, and, uh, and, he, and he's a writer. That's wonderful, Mare. No, you just don't, like, like, you haven't met him yet, you know? Like, what if the elephant man walks through the door? I, I'm just glad he exists and, and that you're, you're going out and moving on with your life. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what you should do? You should parade him right past Frank's house. You know, maybe grab his ass. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be very wise right now. That's probably him. Hey. Hi. Oh, great. Richard, uh, come on in. Hi. Mayor, aren't you going to introduce us? Uh, Richard, this is my mother, Mrs. Fahey. Oh, nice to meet you, Mrs. Fahey. I see where Mayor gets her beauty. Um, well, it was very nice to meet you, too. And please, call me Helen. Helen, of course. Mayor has told me all about you. That's a lie. I literally really? told her about you 30 seconds ago. So where'd you two meet? Forest Tavern. But I have managed to coax her out to a restaurant this evening. Oh, I bet that didn't take too much coaxing. Okay, we're leaving. Let's go. Okay. Good night, Helen. Good night. Bye, Richard. Julianne Nicholson and Gory Rice, Evan Peters, and David Denman are also among the stars. Variety's Jazz Tanke recently spoke with Winslet about the success of Mayor of Easttown and the show's satisfying ending. They began by discussing why she thinks Mayor resonated so much the way it has. The writing was always amazing. You know, Brad Inglesby created a very real community of people, created the town of Easttown, and 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 it has all those usual suspects in it. It has the disgruntled mother. It has, you know, the 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 naughty kid on the block. It has the, you know, the irritating 
old couple um, who always need taking care of. You know, it has that world of friends and neighbors and I think shared ritual and rhythm and tradition that comes hand in hand with being part of a of a community of people who've all lived there for a very long time. A lot of people in the world can relate to that. Um, so I think that was certainly something that we had on our side. Um, and, you know, I have to be honest, I think because of COVID um, cutting right in the middle of of shooting and the show coming out in a post-pandemic world, you know, I think in a way who Mare is and what she's gone through and how she feels, how she looks, what she eats, somehow it was that zeitgeist moment of Mare kind of gave everyone validation. We've all been feeling a lot like Mare. You know, we've all had rough rides in the last year and we've all stayed at home and eaten too much damn cheese whiz. So, you know, I think uh, I think that also um, that also helped. Um, but I will say where we were blessed, blessed, blessed as as a production, we had incredible um, creative individuals steering the way in terms of our heads of department. And we had the most phenomenal actors you know, who took those roles and made those characters completely their own and gave them a reality and a sense of purpose and belonging. Um, and, and, and that, I think, that I think is one of the things that seems to have really resonated with people is, is, is how real the show feels. And uh, for us as actors, like that is all we ever want to hear is it just seems so real. Like it's just the highest compliment anyone can ever be paid. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to ask you about Cheese Whiz because as Brits, I mean, cheese in a, in a can is wild. Do you actually like Cheese Whiz? I do actually like Cheese Whiz. And uh, and the thing is, Lainey, who was our props, um, our standby props <clears throat> on set woman, she was like, girl, you're eating a lot of that Cheese Whiz. You sure? And I'd be like, just keep them coming. I mean, I must have gone through about three and a half cans. She was like, this is, do you want to look at, she was like, do you want to see the ingredients? I was like, don't show me. <laughs> don't put me off this mad idea I've had to put cheese was on the damn cheese ball. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, pr it's a pretty worthwhile fake food. Oh my God. Did I just promote cheese whiz? <laughs> I think you did. I think you oh, did. No. This is, this podcast is sponsored by cheese whiz today. Um, oh my God. So, <laughs> uh, what was the great thing about the series is that we, you know, it's solving a crime, but it's also about this incredible, these incredible friendships uh, what was it like to to go on that journey with Mare and these characters at every twist and turn? You know, that, I mean, honestly, there were times when it was incredibly painful. I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, there were days when Julianne and I would have a very difficult scene, for example, or the actor who played Kevin, who you only see in flashback, Cody Costro, he... I mean, I he would be on set, and because of the amount of trauma that... Um, I had created around Mare's failed relationship really with Kevin. I, I couldn't even look, I couldn't even look Cody in the eye. I'd have actually have to go and stand in a separate room because it would trigger something in me. Um, and I think, you know, these were precious relationships that we were all able to form. Um, and that was one of the things truly that I appreciated so much about this script is that, 
you know, when the chips are down and you've got no one to turn to, that sense of community loyalty and 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 counting for something coming from somewhere, even if your own family can't talk to you, can't understand you, you know, sometimes the backbone of where you are from that gets you through is that community that you live in. And 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 for me, the people of East Town were all heroes because you know they're living their lives, doing their best, looking out for one another. And I appreciate those things very much in my own life. Um, and we were just so blessed that we had incredible actors who were as prepared to immerse themselves as as I was and Jean Smart and Julianne Nicholson. And, and, and we, we sort of had to lead the charge in that way and just bring everyone along with us. Yeah. And Brian did it, which came as a huge surprise. Did you ever dive into the, I know you're not on social media, but did you dive into the whole who done it week after week? The theories were brilliant, but did you go down that rabbit hole? I didn't go down that rabbit hole. I've got to be honest. I just didn't. I um, I I, I, I was more obsessed with keeping the secret. Um, I was so concerned. So you know what was frightening, really, for all of us as actors, is that as the episodes were airing, we were doing this. We were having conversations with you, Jazz, and some of your colleagues and your peers, and you know, just not letting the tiniest thing slip was was that was when it became terrifying for us i was like oh my god why do we have to all do press like someone's gonna let something go you know (laughs) and uh and it was that so that was that was my obsession was like please god don't let it be one of us actors that lets it slide um but yeah i mean we did stick to that landing and uh yeah, I just feel so grateful for that. I really feel so grateful because we went to incredible lengths even when we were shooting to make sure that not even all of the crew members knew who it was. We kept it as small as we could. So Casey Goodell, who was our first assistant director on set, the woman who runs the show, puts the schedule together, literally steers the ship. Um, she would even change character or scene descriptions on our schedule you know so for example this the interrogation scene with ryan that happens in episode seven she literally just wrote the ross family and mayor have a chat she just didn't put anything nothing you know and when mayor goes into that shed in the back garden of the carroll house and she and she talks about the cult detective special and she runs inside and she sees ryan on that security console which was, by the way, a completely blank screen, and we filmed it in week one of shooting. Maybe we'll come back to that. But, for example, those scene descriptions were very, very benign and gave nothing away. So because we'd gone to such lengths to protect the secret while we were shooting, it was even more important, of course, that we hung on to that commitment as the show was airing. That was terrifying. Oh, my gosh. That is a big, huge burden. Well, also, like through filming and keeping it a secret. Talk about filming that shed scene. I can't even begin to tell you. So our our shooting schedule was completely crazy because we had to block shoot because of either location availability or weather, how the leaves were on the trees, for example. Those things were very important to the production and very important to the director. So I find myself 
staring down the barrel about to play the hardest role of my life and I look at week one of the schedule and I go oh my god no oh my god no please god no this can't be happening we filmed every single scene at Mr and Mrs Carol house in Carol's house in week one of our shoot which was in October of 2019 I hadn't even met Cameron Mann who plays Ryan when I saw that that scene where it's him on the console and the console was a blank it was a prop it was a prop with no wires in the back it was just a you know it was a nut it was a nothing yeah. it might as well have been a piece of paper and so I had to sort of I, I, luckily I had spent time creating this backstory but also really immersing myself in episodes one through seven so I I planned all my triggers. I, you know, I, I, I knew our show. I knew it in my head. I could see it all, but it still doesn't change the fact that you know, asking your actors to to step up to the plate and shoot some of the most pivotal scenes in the entire show in week one was just crackers. And then, now this is interesting. When we did come to do the interrogation scene with Ryan in episode seven, that happened after COVID. So we filmed wow. that scene in December 2020. So a whole year and a, like almost 14 months had gone by between the Carol House shed scene and interrogating Ryan. I mean, nuts. Compl I mean, That's completely crackers. crackers. so bonkers when you put that down. It's like a whole year and then some. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, but, I mean... Let's talk about Jean Smart having her play your mum. It was such a gorgeous, as I said, like relationship and dynamic. And going on that journey with her and you, like, what was it like having Jean Smart play your mum and working oh alongside God. her? I mean, it was, look, it was hilarious. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, we had, <laughs> we just had this, we had this banter, we had this sort of, you know, we had this verbal shorthand and, uh, and also luckily both have a, you know, pretty punchy sense of humor. So, you know, so we could fling these kind of like caustic verbal grenades at one another, and then we would just fall about laughing. And also we could improvise comfortably, which was really helpful, um, because it just meant that we were able to keep things really alive and new and fresh take after take. Um, I mean, she was just heaven to work with. I mean, absolute heaven. And, and I think, you know, what we appreciated in each other as actors is that ability, I think, to just let go of all vanity. You know, neither of us looked pretty in this show. And that was exactly how it had to be. And and we didn't resist that. We positively, you know, encouraged it, welcomed it and loved it. Um, so there were days when she'd walk on set and she'd say, have you seen my pants? If you took a match to them, they would go up in a ball of flames the nylon just look I mean we would just crack up laughing at you know how flammable most of her costumes were and how completely unflattering all of mine were and that was just the world we were in um but we became really like family I mean we absolutely were like family and in many ways we needed to be for the show of course but we also needed to be for little Izzy King who played Drew the more he was able to step into a complete make-believe world the easier it would be for him to just come in and play and understand that we were all playing characters and it was an intact safe space for him to 
roam around in, play around, make mistakes. You know, I mean, it's, there's nothing greater than a child who can't remember their lines because then they just make something else up entirely. And so we just had that relationship amongst all of us as a as an acting family, and um, and it really did rub off on on little Izzy who played Drew. Yeah, he was incredible. So good. So how therapeutic or how great was it for you to just not have to worry about hair and you know like bed hair I think is how they described it in in one interview but just that naturalism like the realism of playing this character like for you talk about well, Ivana Primorak, um, who was hair and makeup for for me, and we created we created Mare together along with Megan Kasperlik, who was our costume designer. Um, and there were several steps to making her look like that. You know, I didn't just rock up at work looking that way. You know, it's it it, it is a wig, and uh, and we worked very hard on creating that wig. We wanted that sort of strange, coarse, almost unmanageable head of hair you know, my own hair is very fine. And so we wouldn't have been able to achieve the same texture that we wanted for Mare. Um, we added eyebrows so that my own eye, my own eyebrow, which is quite a sort of almost fashion-y shape, it's natural. I got it from my mother, but we didn't want that for Mare. It just looks too sort of clean or something. We wanted the eyes to look just that little bit heavier and just, you know, just a woman who who doesn't think about how she looks. You know, we'd let my little sunspots show through, add a few more. We didn't moisturize my skin very much at all so that my own face just looked quite craggy and older much of the time. So there's no sense of health or glow anywhere in Mare's face. It just had to look just sort of translucent and um, tired and and, and old. Um, And then, of course, you know, you put all those little steps together and they, you know, they're small things, but, but at the end of the day, what you get is a, you know, a woman who's just got her hair shoved back in that same damn ponytail every day. Um, we just did as much as we could to stay away from anything that looked done or created. Um, and we just wanted it to, to look and feel real. Let's talk about you stepping into the role of executive producer and you know, why, you know, what's made you take that step in, you know, in your career and, you know, your executive producer on this and you've done other projects too. Like talk about that as a, just in your own personal journey. Well, you know, it's a separate job. It's a completely um, separate job. It has a whole other skill set that is required to be able to do that. And I think a couple of things, I mean, I think I've never done it before because I just didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. I mean, you can't just sort of, you know, say you're an executive producer, you've got to do the thing that you're being asked to do. And, and so it's taken me a long time to really learn that as I have done, learnt on the job and learnt from some incredible people. Um, but you know, I've got three children, so there's only so much I've been able to cram into my, my, my career whilst also raising a young family and, 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 and being a, and being a, a present parent. And I think if I had done, done this before now in terms of executive producing, I just wouldn't have been able to concentrate on it, quite honestly. You know, just being an actor alone is in, is enormous and takes all of me and it takes me away from my family as well in the emotional sense sometimes. And 
Um, and so balancing all of those things is hard. And quite honestly, my husband, Ned, is just so amazing. He's at home. He, 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 he doesn't work. His, his, his role is to keep the home fires burning when I'm out shooting. And, uh, and that really enabled me to be able to take this on. It was wonderful to be in this position because I could I could really set a tone. You know, I wanted to establish a work ethic that was just we're all in this together. You know, this is a completely safe space where anyone can bring whatever they want to the table and it will always be valued. I don't like hierarchy. I've never liked it. I've never understood why an actor becomes famous and you know, gets treated differently or gets more stuff or big trailers. I've always really been confused by that. It's a it's a waste of money that I would rather see on the screen. Um, but also it's a waste of it's a waste of fuel, people. Like newsflash, it costs a lot more money and a, takes a lot more fuel to move those big vehicles around. So I wanted us to be as kind of carbon careful as we we could be, and I was able to implement some of that. Plus, I just wanted everyone to be the same. You know, we're all in this community together on screen, so why not be in the same community off screen? And it made a difference. It kept a lovely harmony and balance, and you know, everyone felt comfortable approaching anyone else and. Um, and sort of having each other's backs meant a lot. And, uh, and with our young actors who were so nervous and so excited, you know, being able to really kind of look out for them and, um, and work with them and, and, and share stories and share my stories from when I was their age. Like, I don't know, it just, you know, those are things I would do anyway, but somehow being a producer really made me feel that it was absolutely my responsibility to make sure they were okay. And, uh, and I really loved it. It was um, it was sort of better for everyone in in a way that I, I I was able to kind of be a bit of a leader, in that sense. Yeah. And last year you gave us Ammonite, and this year you've given us Mare. Like, how do you, what how do you pick roles, and what are you looking for now in the parts that you choose? Oh God, I mean, I don't know, Jazz. How do I pick a role? I've I've got no idea. I think. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I, I definitely find myself <laughs> returning to is a feeling of utter terror. Like something just came in for me uh, two days ago that I, I won't say what it is, but I can already feel that I'm going to do it because even the thought of it makes me feel sick. It's so scary um, it's, and very potentially quite exciting. So I think, <laughs> I don't know, like what scares me the most um, is a, is a big drive for me, but, but also I would say now, you know, being in my mid forties, I'm going to be turning 46 in October, you know, it's just, um, playing characters that resonate with other women. That means, a, that means a lot to me. Um, and I have to say, like, I think the industry is changing for the better in that sense. I think, you know, finally, we want to hear women's stories. We want to tell their stories. There's a marketplace for them that is bigger than it's ever been before. Whereas, you know, if I was this age 20 years ago, you know, well, I'd probably be being offered grandmother roles. I mean, like it was, it, it just was ridiculous. But, you know, I think women's lives and the stories that we have to tell are being valued and heard in a completely new way. And it is unbelievably exciting. And we've still definitely got a way to go, but I think we're we're redefining, we're redefining what it means to be successful female actors. You know, we no longer have to be catwalk ready or you know 
I have perfect skin and no wrinkles. You know, I, I'm hoping that in May, I've been able to sort of redefine this idea of what it means to be a middle-aged actor, you know, to be strong, to be, to be, you know, on the front foot, to be powerful, to be messy, to look messy, um, to be frumpy. I mean, like it, uh, it was an indulgence for me. And, um, and I just, and I hope that, I hope that writers feel motivated to dig into this particular world for women, this interesting time of middle age when typically, you know, women are creeping more towards 50. They've mostly done a lot of, you know, of, of raising of children and, and lots of questions come up at this time of age. And, um, and it's, fa it's fascinating. And we, we all want to hear about it. Yeah, I think it helps that there are more women behind the scenes working direct you know in the directing role in the producing roles in the studios in the writers room like it's we've infiltrated the you know the back yeah, end of and, it all yeah that's right and it's and, and and I have to say as well like at HBO my sort of two bosses were Francesca Orsi and Nora Skinner and these women I mean they have such creative integrity they have such power but they have the most incredible grace and kindness and that is very important too because we can be out there going come on we want to tell our stories but we don't need to shout about it we can just be very definite and we can just be really thoughtful and careful and powerful and we just can we just have to stick together and just get on with it Love that. Okay, so we're going to jump into the thank you for that, by the way, Kate. Um, welcome. We are going to jump into making a scene. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about the bar scene. What do you remember about that scene, whether it was seeing it on 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 page and the script, and talking about that with Craig and Evan, like, take us through it all. So the way that scene was originally scripted um, was, huh, I'm trying to really think now, Zabel was scripted as being much more confident and flirtatious with Mare. And actually Evan was, he was just brilliant. He said, this doesn't fit. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. I don't think Zabel has enough confidence to really, you know, put himself out there and kind of woo this woman and he lent much towards the idea of this 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 man you know like the wheels have come off he's he's had way too much to drink can't control himself is loose of tongue and talks about his past in this very fragile vulnerable way but it comes out like a sort of like a like a watershed um and I and I recall on the day, you know, Evan. Oh, God love Evan. He was so nervous because one of the hardest things to act is drunk. It really is, and that sort of that that heaviness of of body. You know, every movement just becomes a tiny bit more definite and slightly slower and. Yes, the words are slurry, but the mind is desperately trying to articulate what it wants the mouth to say. And um, and and he he was just he was 
terrified and kept saying they're going to fire me they're going to have to find somebody else they're going to cut this scene it's going to be for shit I hate myself do you have a good acting coach come on you must have a good acting coach like this kind of stuff and I just wasn't prepared to um to answer any of it I wasn't prepared to go no you're doing great come on I just thought no you know and I just kept saying to him just stop all that it's you're doing it just keep fucking doing it go on go back do it again oh god okay okay and he was nailing it take after take and it wasn't just that he was nailing it he was bringing something new and nuanced and different and he was experimenting and 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 he just kept going you i suck i suck right you think i mean i definitely <laughs> suck and it was quite hard for me because i wanted to just throw my arms around him and you know tell him how much i loved him and how 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 brilliant he was being but I didn't want him to give up because he was giving such gold every time. And, uh, and he, he, he just, he just did such a great job. It was, it was quite a crowded space. I remember that. And it's, it was in a real bar that I have to be honest, like it smelt like 10 bars in one. So it was quite an uncomfortable set to be on. Um, it was very dark it was the middle of the day. So we'd step outside and it would be 11 in the morning. And it's that awful moment of, Oh my God, bright light. So we had, so there was a lot of that going on. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and Mare's story, um, is so completely different to what's going on for Zabel. You know, she's sitting there with two bags of heroin burning a hole in her pocket and, uh, and trying to get that balance right between, you know, slightly wanting the audience to think maybe is she going to actually take the drugs herself or, or, or what's she going to do you know it, it finding that balance and, and 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 playing completely level and uh not giving too much away yeah there was a lot to juggle in that scene there uh, yeah and it was hot like it was hot and uncomfortable and it was all good things like ev- everything we needed for the scene it was it was all right there yeah. I love that she says I'm like having a bad thought and because as you say she has those bags of heroin on her and you know she's she's thinking what to do with it but I mean how often is she having bad thoughts I mean she's in such she's in a place herself I think Mare is tortured I think Mare's tortured with bad thoughts and guilt every day like mo- like most of the time. I think part of the reason why she just keeps going, just keeps moving, just keeps talking, just keeps thinking, just keeps trying to solve everyone else's problems and 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 be the savior for others is because she could not save her son. And that is the one thing, the one and only thing that drives Mershian is the guilt. This unbelievable griping anguish and guilt that she she does believe that she failed him she could have saved him she could have parented him differently she could have loved him more she could have been embarrassed by him less she could have she could have taken his multiple mental illnesses on and helped him more and the reality is it wasn't just a case of you always feel like you can do more Mare admits that she checked out. She admits that she couldn't cope. So the guilt, this terrible guilt. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to play um, because it became the most extraordinary burden. 
And so that scene in the bar with Zabel, she she she's she's still driven by the guilt, you know, and the fight for him. She can't fight for him anymore, but she will fight for custody of his son, her grandson, because she knows what kind of a life he would have if he didn't live with her and she fears it and she doesn't know what else to do. And so it makes her do something utterly reprehensible, completely unforgivable and totally irrational. Um, and, you know, committing to playing a character who doesn't get things right all the time and who can sometimes be completely diabolical in terms of how she behaves, you know, it's a step, it's a step you take you have to somehow make the character real enough and redeemable enough and relatable enough that the audience will forgive her, hopefully, even those terrible things that she does. It was a bloody balancing act. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But with that mindset and you've got Zabel, like, being completely drunk, having his moment too, like, what I loved about it is he doesn't come off as annoying. How does she not get annoyed by him at that point? Because she's been that person herself. Mare's been that annoying drunk person herself multiple times in her life. It's just like, you know, Mare, there's nothing she hasn't done and there's nothing she hasn't seen. So it just doesn't phase her. And I loved that about the way that scene was scripted. It just, it's like, oh, look, it's you, Zabel. Wow, you're drunk. And that's it. It just doesn't really phase her. I think what throws her is hearing his story, that actually he he had a failed love. He nearly got married. He could have had a completely different life. And there he is admitting to the fact that he lives with his mum and, you know, his his life isn't what he imagined it would be. And it's also, you know, they're kind of kindred spirits in that moment in a way. There's nothing, nothing about Mayor Sheehan's life in that moment or at all that is anything that she would have ever imagined it would be at that time in her life everything's mm -hmm. crumbled around her what's the secret to playing drunk i mean he i mean you talk about it but yeah what is that i think you have to have some good experience um that's for sure uh you have to have plenty of good experience of being drunk yourself um I mean I've only, I've had to act drunk maybe twice in my life and I have to be honest I've like I've had a couple of vodkas right before shooting but then I have done those scenes at night knowing that it was the last scene of the night this was impossible there was no way Evan was going to be able to pull that off because we started shooting at 8:30 in the morning you know forget it um and actually it was shot all in the morning we had another scene to do in the afternoon that didn't involve him and we had a whole location move and we you know we had st so much going on so he 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 it turned out and I didn't know this on the day but in his shot glass that he drinks on camera there was apple cider vinegar which made him have that <gasps> that reaction, um, and that's a very smart idea. Um, I, I I've never come up with that myself. I, I that's a good one. I'm definitely going to steal that for sure. Um, but uh, Evan is a very very fine detailed actor, and there's nothing he couldn't do. Honestly, he's very 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 talented. That's Kate Winslet, star of HBO's Mayor of Easttown. After the break, Saturday Night Live's Bowen Yang. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast.
We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Bowen Yang first joined the writing staff of Saturday Night Live in 2018 and was promoted to on-air for the show's 45th season in 2019, becoming one of the first Asian-American and openly gay cast members in the show's history. Later that season, as the COVID-19 pandemic hit, the show went remote, and this past season, even though it returned to Studio 8H, it was with a limited audience and with plenty of COVID protocols. And yet, Yang stood out for his portrayals of everything from Fran Lebowitz to the iceberg that struck the Titanic, and he earned high marks for his bit on Weekend Update discussing the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. Things for Asians in this country have been bleak for the past two weeks, and all the weeks before that since forever. Um, But there's a lot of work to do, and I found some posts online with action items everyone can take to help. Oh, right. I've seen those on Instagram, like lists of places to donate to. Yes, and here are some that I found super helpful. Six ways you can check in on your AAPI friends and tell them they're so hot. (laughs) Oh, is that real? Yeah, um, I guess people just want to help us any way they can. Yeah. Here's a list of um, something I've seen a lot of activists post to amplify these Asian voices who want more Paneras in North Brooklyn. Yes. That's really something that Asian communities are concerned about? Yeah, it is for the ones in my neighborhood, but... Okay, fine, here's something we can all do. Call your senators and demand that they know about the lesbian characters in Sailor Moon. Yeah, Bo, Bo, no offense, but this is actually helpful to all Asians? Maybe... I don't know, Colin, okay? Maybe, uh, what can I say to help how insanely bad things are? If someone's personality is pungent Asian grandma, it's not a dialogue. I have an Asian grandma. You want to punch her. There ain't no common ground, mama. Yeah, that, that's tough. I mean, I see my friends donating, and I tell them that's great. But then I also tell them, do more. Like, okay, you're ordering from Chinese restaurants? Great, do more. Let me know when you feed your white kids chicken feet. Okay, you cried during Minari? Congrats. I was sobbing into my boner for Stephen Yun. <laughs> do more. And, like... Why are you telling me that you tipped your manicurist well? Let me know when you get on your knees and scrub her feet while she looks at your phone. Do more. Yang is now nominated in the Outstanding Supporting Comedy Actor category, where he's up against notables, including his SNL co-star, Kenan Thompson. I recently spoke to Yang about his standout moments of the year, such as that Weekend Update moment, and what it was like working on SNL in such an unusual year. I began by checking in on how he's doing in these times. I'm having a relatively unweird time, which I know is not not super relatable right now. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm just kind of hanging out at home, and I did reveal to some people that um, I have an ant problem in my apartment right now, and that's that's a very humbling experience. <laughs> you're, you're never too you're never too much of a, a certain type of person to not have an ant problem in your house. That's uh, the great equalizer. Everyone eventually has an ant problem. Everyone. I mean, I grew, I, I, I remember growing up in my house 
with an ant problem and thinking and feeling really embarrassed by it and thinking, well, I bet other people don't have this. And I now in my in my uh, development, I, I know that that's not true. Everybody, everybody goes through one at some point in life. I'm going to be honest. When you started to say I have an ant problem, of course, I was assuming A-U-N-T. Awesome. And I was like, oh, I, I hope everything's OK. What's my answer? My aunts are all they're all they all seem to be doing very well. Um, I feel like if I ever have an aunt problem, I will. I'll keep that to myself. I will never reveal it to a variety of all places. <laughs> well, um, congratulations on the nomination. Uh, I'm sure a, a year ago, A, you weren't expecting to sort of be on this circuit, but B, you weren't expecting to have to talk constantly about playing an iceberg. I did not expect this at all. This was not in my... I would, have, I would have called every psychic hotline in the world and none of them would have would have been t- would have would have just thrown this out there as like a possible vision but no this is this is so fun yeah yeah are you enjoying this this sort of uh this campaign trail this whole like uh you know experience of of you know jumping on this circuit and and uh you know being a emmy nominee quote unquote it's it's very interesting it's very nice i've had some friends and acquaintances uh, who were able to sort of prepare me for it and say, well, this is what you should expect. And it's all very fun. Um, so I feel like I've, I've got the level setting, you know, I got the level setting pretty early on. And so this is all just, this is all just wonderful. And um, no, I, 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 I'm enjoying it a great deal so far. And clearly a, a, just a validation of, you know, everything you've done so far in SNL. I mean, you're still a fairly new player on, on this show. So it's sort of, uh, you know, take, take me back to that whole experience in auditioning, on meeting Lorne, what that was like. What was your first impression of, of interacting with Lorne Michaels? Um, how intimidating was it? What was, take me back to those, those early days. Well, the early days, the, the the thing that kicked this all off was um, my managers telling me I should submit a tape because it seems like you know, the you know there's a there's a time of the year when when everybody just does that if you if you're a comedic performer just sort of pounding the pavement in whatever city you're you're performing in and um, I was in New York I've always been in New York and uh, kind of just put together a tape on on a lark and just threw together five minutes of characters and impressions. And I was like, this will, this will never happen. So I might as well have fun with it. Um, and then somehow I kept clearing every successive stage gate onto like, you know, the showcase that's like at a live, uh, that, that's, that, that, that's at a comedy theater. And then from there you get invited to screen test. And then after the screen test, you get called back and you get asked to do five minutes of new stuff um, that you're supposed to write within, you know, a week. And, um, it was just this crazy flurry of like, I can't believe this is getting realer and realer. Yeah. Um, and, and, and every that, step of the way, do you feel more confident? Do you feel like, or, or is there more pressure or what, what is sort of, cause I've heard all the time about just how intense this whole process is. Yeah. I mean, obviously it starts at feeling more pressure and then you kind of, what I was trying to do, I remember back then, this was the summer of 20, 17 uh, was my first time auditioning was my first time being in that process back then. I was like, I got to balance this out. This, these insane nerves out with the most 
diluted kind of confidence. Because um, again, I was like, there's no way this would happen. There's no way um, that like I would fit into that. I mean, I grew up loving the show. I, I've always loved the show. And this is just, and back then I was like, I respect what goes on at the show too much to visualize myself there. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know where I would fit into, you know, this mold. And then, uh, and then just kind of went in, got super into meditation around that time. Cause I was like, I need to like recalibrate moment to moment because this is just getting, this is just getting wild. Um, and like, you know, the, the fantasy of like, being on that stage on home base where everyone screen tests and auditions is, was just too much for me to process. Um, but yeah, got to the audition. Everyone's told that no one laughs, got a few chuckles, felt good about that. And I kept getting called back. Um, and then I remember meeting with Lauren the first time and just kind of being a little too thirsty, like, and me revealing to him right off the bat that I was a Canadian, that I was Canadian and, um, you know, trying to relate to him on that level. And just, it just, it just didn't, he saw right through it. Didn't seem terribly interested in me. Um, did not get any job offer from that. And then spent the next year just sort of slowly mourning and moving past it being like, well, at least I can tell my kids that like, I, you know, auditioned for SNL. Um, this is terribly detailed and long-winded. And no, can... I, I, I love this detail. Like, okay, great. But yeah, yeah. Especially just imagining you being super thirsty with Lauren Michaels. The, hey, oh, yeah. Canada, right? Hey, wow. Canada. How about I mean, I that brought hockey? Hockey and maple syrup. I mean, he, um, uh, Molson beer, he, he asked me, well, do you speak French? Because I told him I grew up in Montreal. And I said, yes, I, you know, went to school speaking French. And then he, uh, turned to one of the producers who was in the room and just kind of went on this tangent about how the French wrote great books. And I was like, I, and then at that point I was like, I am not really present in this room. He's not interested in me. Um, I mean, you know, he was just, he was just being Warren Michaels. And of course I was like, yes, he has earned this. He has earned this, this kind of like, you know, this kind of meeting with me who, you know, he just, this, this kid who just like got plucked out of a theater somewhere, um, by the producers. So then, um, got invited and then, and then miraculously got invited back to audition the next summer. Um, and then had to come up with all new material. Um, and then at that point, Lauren was producing the Emmys, uh, the year that, uh, Colin Jost and Michael Che hosted. And so then I had to fly out to LA, uh, and, and take a meeting with him there. And then, and then I walked into that meeting feeling the complete opposite. I was like, I can't do what I did last time. So I just walked in there with this as unforced of like an airy casual sort of vibe as I could just sat down with him, had a martini, you know, you know, shot the breeze with him, told him about my flight over. And then I remember walking away and this is the Lauren Michaels sort of, you know, style of, of, of meeting where you, he, he drops something right as you walk away or right as you walk out the door. And then, uh, I left that meeting and he said, and Bowen, you've gotten better every time. And then I was like, great. Like, I think this is, this is all moving in the right direction. And then, um, he asked me to be a writer. And then I wrote that first season, uh, season 44. And that was like its own little, you know, 
crucible that I had to walk through that everyone walks through their first season working there in any capacity. Um, and then got hired to be on cast the next summer. So in that call, he tells me, you know, I wanted to make sure that you were aware of how the show works before I put you on camera, because you're going to be scrutinized in a different way um, compared to, you know, the other cast members. And I thought that makes total sense. Thank you for that developmental process for me that um, he felt that I need to go through. And uh, I'm very grateful. Yeah. And here you are now, obviously. But uh, what was that? I mean, there, there was that sort of, uh, you know, this, this was a sort of a historic moment for you, for the show. That's a lot of weight to, to carry. Um, what was, what was sort of that experience like in, in sort of, you know, the, you know, the, the, the important symbolism in representation and inclusion that, you know, SNL has been criticized for in the past and, you know, seems to really trying to be working towards rectifying, but, uh, you know, um, you're, you're a part of that. And so that, that is something to put on your shoulders that maybe, you know, some, some of the other new cast members don't have to carry. Well, I think Lauren was very clear from the outset with me uh, at that point about diffusing that. And he, you know, told me, you know, you don't have to be the poster child for any kind of ideal or any kind of like favorable direction that the show is going in. That is not on you. Um, and I believed him. I, I, sort of, I sort of took that at face value and I was like, okay, great. Like I don't, I, I, I cause I did probably for just like a small window there right after I got moved to the cast think, well, I gotta, I gotta do all these things and I don't know what they want from me, but maybe I have to like, service might be serviceable in that way based on my race. And I mean, all these weird, weird, bizarre thoughts. And Lauren was pretty quick and intentional about saying, you don't have to worry about that. And, and for any time that the, that, that the show, for any time that people bring up how, you know, the show, uh, quote unquote, like took a long time to, 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 to do this, I, 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 you know, I, I, I only think of it in terms of there being like no inevitable process for like an Asian person who's interested in comedy in general, not even, you know, an Asian person who wants to be on the show or work at the show, but there's no like guaranteed developmental process for an Asian person who wants to work in comedy for it to be a sure thing by the end. There's no educational process around it. There's no like cultural thing around it yet. And so, and that, I don't think that falls on the show necessarily. And so I think this is just a thing that is hopefully all moving in the right direction, but I hope, uh, I hope it continues to just move in that direction. Yeah. And, and the other thing, and, and we don't have to get deep into this, but obviously the, the year that you were announced, there was that other distraction, that other thing that happened, uh, that, that was controversial and, and, uh, it was threatened to sort of overshadow. Uh, so, some of the other things that that must have also been a little difficult for you to sort of, you know, see going on and it, it kind of, you know, to some degree threatened to overshadow your announcement. Luckily, it ended up not. But there was that moment where I'm sure it was a little odd for you joining the show right when there was that controversy going on. Right. And it was just interesting to have an overwhelming moment for me just personally just emotionally just like i did not really know how to process it except 
you know, be very happy and also nervous. And, um, and that would be true for anybody uh, of any sort of identity or background who gets hired there. Um, I kind of appreciate that it was all, it was every kind of overwhelm experience at the same time. Uh, and so therefore it kind of makes it like a clean sort of, I, I can sort of make a very clean, like turn away from that moment and just like have that be like its own little benchmark in my life. Be like, well, wow, I dealt, I dealt, I dealt with so many things that I never expected to, 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 to go through. Um, in this concentrated period of time. And now I can just sort of move forward. Um, yeah. yeah. And then along came COVID. <laughs> Mix things up yet again. Wow. So, and, and so that, that was a, a strange uh, previous season. Uh, and then you guys were able to come back and, and mm-hmm. do the show this season. Uh, I know it was kind of mentioned on the show, just what a surreal year it was with the limited audience at first and, and just the, you know, doing it in those sort of circumstances. It was, you know, even like I, I, so it's such a moment in time watching the opening credits this year with all of you wearing masks. And right. you know, we're, we're going to be looking back at, at this as sort of like a document in time of, of, you know, what it was like. And, and, you know, for, for you sort of, what was that, like in, in sort of being one of the first shows to, to be back up and running with an audience um, in, in yeah. these. Well, I, I weirdly kind of remember like the good parts mostly. Yeah. And there were, and there were, and there were a lot of just good parts. I mean, I turned to a lot of my castmates during, you know, sound checks for our musical guests. And it was like, we're kind of the only people who are seeing like live music right now, you know? Um, and isn't that really lucky? And, and it's like, it was kind of like the only live show in town with Broadway shut down. It was just like, there were, there were so many exceptional things about that experience. Um, just in terms of like how it was like, we were the only thing that, I was like, I can't believe that there's been all this effort put into making sure everyone's been, everyone's safe and everyone's tested and everyone like, the, like that it was sort of set. It was, it was setting this model for how to put on a weekly live show during a global pandemic. I mean, I don't know. Doesn't that logistically yeah. just do shingles? Like it's like, like it just, it's so, it's so stressful to think about. And so, I'm just, I'm just very lucky that I got to be like the beneficiary, the beneficiary of that. And just, I got the good parts, uh, while a lot of other people worked really hard to make sure that I was safe along with the rest of the cast and crew and the writers. Yeah. Yeah. And it turned out to be sort of just a nice, like Island of normalcy, being able to watch SNL live in the studio, you know, Mm -hmm. with an audience, um, and and yeah, again, so interesting to see the the you know when they cut to the commercial break and and seeing all the crew masked up with their shields, uh, you know, sort of you know it's half the band was were somewhere else performing like somewhere else at Purdy Rock. I mean, just crazy. Mm-hmm. But you you got to have a lot of fun this year. I mean, I mentioned the iceberg. That's the thing yeah. everyone always brings up and, and how can we not, right? I mean, that was 
such a just fun, silly. I mean, that's that's when SNL is, is at its best when there's like this unexpected, uh, you know, be it David S. Pumpkins or Owen Yang dressed as a as an iceberg. <laughs> Todd, give me the quick. I know you've been asked this a lot, but uh, you know the the reaction. Like, you know, what's what's that been like? Why everyone wants to talk to you about the iceberg? I think it's because everyone is still deeply, deeply, deeply interested in the story of the Titanic sinking. Whether it's like, whether it has to do with the movie or whether it has to do with, you know, just like what an intriguing thing it is that this like, that this huge ocean liner like sank, like, and and it's a, a, a national tragedy both in America and, 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 and in England at the time, you know, it's just, it's just, there's just so, it's such a, it's such a perennially fascinating story. I don't know. It's, it's just like the only reason that like the iceberg sort of that, that, that update piece sort of impacted the way it did, I guess, is that everyone is, is so still is so interested in the Titanic still. <laughs> Yeah, but obviously the A, the costume, but B, just your yeah. performance, you know, clearly just, you know, it, just the whole outcome. Sure. But I think, but I think also like if, if I was just like, you know, Mount Vesuvius or something, it wouldn't have had the same response because like, you know, no one really has this like emotional relationship with it's like that, you know, right. that natural disaster. It's like, it's, there's something about the, Titan, the Titanic thinking that is so interesting. Um, yeah. That I think that's what, that's what sort of made it. Yeah. Like gave it appeal, but the, 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 the update uh, piece, some sort of appeal. Yeah. It's, it's multi-generational too. I mean, my, my 10 year old is obsessed with the Titanic. Really? So, and so he watched your sketch and, uh, during <laughs> Um, update. I'm probably a terrible parent because I let my kids watch SNL, but it's all right. That's okay. Um, but, um, you know, even like he got it. So it's like, you know, every generation gets it. So what does, does he has, cause, cause he's seen the movie or, or is he hasn't seen the movie. It's just, there, there's something about the Titanic that just like people somehow just through osmosis, I don't know. It becomes like a, like a fascination with it's, it's crazy. It's crazy because you just, I just, I mean, thank goodness for the movie because I always, when I think about the Titanic, I'm always like, what were the moments like, you know, like the days leading up to like, just, it's such an, again, I'm just repeating myself at this point, but it's just an interesting event in history. Let's talk about a few more Bo and Yang uh, greatest moments. Uh, the, the USO sketch with Dua Lipa. Oh yeah. Oh, so fun. That was um, Fran Gillespie and Will Steven. We wrote that together and... Kristen just checked in with me throughout the week. She, she was involved in a way that hosts normally aren't. And even like, you know, alums of the show usually aren't because it's a very busy week for them. Um, but she just kind of checked in with me throughout the week, would call me, would text me, be like, can we run this dance? I want to make sure we do it right. And I was like, she, the fact that she is putting this level of care and thought into this, I, it exceeded my wildest fantasies about working with her. And I went into that week being like, well, gosh, I mean, she's, I think she's one of the best to, to ever do it. And wouldn't it be great to do something with her? And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hang my hopes too high, but it would be great. And then 
wrote this, wrote this piece with Fran and Will. It got picked for the show. And then I was like, okay, well, at least, I mean, we have to just make sure this dance is clean. And then she was just as invested in this as, as, as we were. And it just made it, it just made it so fun. Yeah. 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 No, that was a fun one. Another fun one, the, the Sarah Lee Instagram. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, that one just cracks me up again because it's just, what, what is it like? Yes, King or what? what like Dad? Yeah. yeah. Destroy me, King. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it, that was, that was sort of around the time when like there was this general shared vocabulary among, with the way that people were just expressing thirst at, at, at especially like celebrities like that. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was, that was a Julio Torres idea. He used to work at the show. Um, and we just kind of like, really, that was like a, a that was like a, pretty quick vomit draft. And then we just like, you know, put clay on the table, molded it and then put it out there. So yeah. that was, yeah. No, I just, I love you. Yeah, Cause uh, I, I'm always obsessed with brands that try to have a personality on social media and how it goes horribly wrong. It's eerie. Yeah. It's like, you are not a human. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure people also talk to you a lot about your Fran Leibowitz. I mean, that's, that's, sure. that's become another, uh, great moment for you. But only because it's, 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 it's gotten like just a little, um, it's, it, it gets exhumed every now and then it's, that's a terrible way of, um, that's a terrible analogy, but it, it, it gets like brought back up because, uh, people will ask Fran about it and she's not very pleased with it. So, <laughs> which I, which I, which I think is a huge honor. And so the fact that she doesn't like it is is great. And it brings it back and in, into people let me know that she, that she doesn't like it constantly when she says it, she doesn't yeah. like it. So I, I just think that's fun. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I think it's, it's as much that is just the, the whole Scorsese, just like giggling nonstop thing, which was well documented like that, that, so that was to, to be the perfect, like two, uh, you know, duo, uh, both of you. Sure. Yeah. Um, just like perfect spot on of, of that docu-series. Yeah, yeah. Um, couple others. Uh, Elton John. You oh yes, a fun Elton John cameo. That was very nice. It's honored to play him. Honored to to join the legacy of people on the show who who've done an impression of him. Um, couple people on the update team were letting me know that they had posed a hypothetical showdown between my Elton John and Horatio Sanz's Elton John and who could do a better one. And I was like, I am, I am not going up against Horatio. I think he sort of like set the model for like an Elton John impression, you know, uh, and, and I, mine doesn't hold a candle in the wind to him. I was, there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> what was, what was your, uh, uh, cause you know, that famously everyone has the, the era of SNL that they grew up on and that they mm-hmm. could, sort of their inspirational era. What was your era? Of I, I feel like I have two answers to this because, uh, one important era for me was when I moved to the U S from Canada and for whatever reason we got it in Canada, but I just never watched it. And it wasn't until I moved to the U S where, uh, there was there, there was this cultural difference where I wasn't sure what was going on uh, in pop culture. And so I watch SNL every week. And that was like my little primer um, on what was funny in the world. And that was around was right at the tail end of Will Ferrell. 
and Sherry O'Terry, Molly Shannon. And then as it transitioned into Tina, Anna Gasteyer, Rachel Dratch, um, and, you know, Jimmy Fallon, that era, Maya Rudolph, obviously. And then I kind of just stuck with it. I would watch it every week. And then, but then like Lauren's whole theory is that it's your high school. It's when you're in high school, that's your, that's your like, you know, impactful era. That's, that's the one that you sort of latch onto. And so for me, that, that was Kristen Wiig, Andy Samberg, Bill Hader, um, Keenan. I mean, like, you know, the fact that I'm like working, that I'm, and I, I hate to bring up the awards, but like the fact that I'm in the same category as him is so surreal. Yeah. I, was just, I was just doing press with him yesterday. And I was like, I can't believe I, I can't believe I'm sitting with him on a zoom, even like just, just kind of, you know, talking about the show. I, I'm just like, this is, I've stepped into the TV at this point. So that was, an, but that was, but that was, you know, it kind of confirms Lauren, Lauren's theory. And that, that was a very impactful era for me. And um, yeah. And getting to sort of now be a part of this club, I, I know you were you had a guest spot on Girls Five Eva, so you're able to you know yeah. interact with Tina Fey and and sort of you know all all the folks Paula Pell like just all this royalty SNL royalty, um, so so that must be just a blast too to to get to know all those folks. It's yeah, I mean it because I think um I think there's this enthusiasm to any time that goes both ways where you know. I'm excited to just sort of meet these people who I've looked up to for so long. And I feel like they are very warm and welcoming to people who join the fold of, of just, you've worked under Lauren Michaels. And so there's a shared common experience there that is very unique. And, um, and I think they have always been, I mean, you know, Emily Spivey will sort of get in touch with me every now and then to be like, loved what you did on the show. And I always have to check myself and be like, how, how did I get here? This is, this is so, this is just so fortuitous and just so, I don't know. I'm, I'm just so lucky. And so, yeah, that's really nice. That's cool. And I did a, a cover story with Keenan a couple months ago, earlier this year, and, and yes. uh, got to talk to a lot of folks uh, just about him and, and how, you know, he, he is sort of just that elder statesman of, of the cast. And, and that must be just wild to be able to, work with him and, and sort of watch him. And, and, you know, there, there is just something about stick Keenan in a sketch and just automatically you're going to smile. And there's just such a, there's a comfort to watching him and there's a comfort to being in something with him where he is like the, the center and the heart of that show. Um, he's someone who's done sketch comedy since he was a teenager. I mean, this is, I mean, and, and, done it well and consistently all along. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm willing to throw out the superlative of him being, I think one of, one of the best sketch comedians of all time. And it's, it's so beautiful to me that he has this unjaded approach to coming into work every day, putting in the same amount of work that he's put in all along. Um, and, and that he still enjoys it and is still so good at it. I mean, none of the luster has, dulled it all from 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 just his presence there you know? yeah yeah no and he's coming on 20 years there which is incredible so that's that's the the, the sign now it does seem like everyone's getting to stick around a little longer that this uh -huh. is there, there's opportunities to stick around while doing all the uh extracurricular projects you've got a bunch of extracurricular things uh um, so, so that's that's exciting nor from queens uh, returning uh yes. very soon yes so, so um, 
what's that like real quick, uh, working with uh, Aquafina and, and uh, those folks? So, so fun. Um, and I was just very lucky to be able to, on my off weeks from SNL, especially in this, you know, COVID season, uh, or this, you know, this first full on COVID season, go from a place like SNL that is just like, sort of very, you know, structured and yet unstructured. And like, there's just so much that changes to go to something uh, where I'm able to just sort of like round out my sort of experience working in comedy um, with like people who, you know, have provided me with the script ahead of time that, uh, you know, and I get to, but I still have room to improvise with Nora, with, with Aquafina, who is, who is, is who, who can add like with the best of them. Um, it was a really just, I was like, I, I can't believe I have this, you know, fully, fully fleshed out sort of, you know, experience of working on one show where I, I'm learning to like pitch the rafters and read off the cue card. And that, that, that only, that only applies there and then go somewhere else where I'm like, Oh, I'm like learning more about, you know, being on set and, 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 uh, communicating with directors and pretty, you know, just, just, just building that tool set, uh, in this very concentrated period of time is very, very valuable to me. And tell me about the uh, fire Island movie just announced. Oh my gosh. We, we just did the table read yesterday. It, it was really great. I have a really good feeling about it. And, um, Another thing where I'm like, oh, I get to do some, you know, my acting on Nora from Queens is very, it's basically like slapstick. It's, it's slapstick meets, you know, stoner humor meets like all these other different sensibilities. And then to move on to this Fire Island thing, it's, you know, me getting to like live out my rom-com fantasy and be like, you know, a romantic, a romantic figure in, in something. And just like, that is something that I've that all feels very novel to me too. And the fact that I'm still able to like, that I'm in this period of just discovery for myself is is really, really nice. And I'm yeah. really, really grateful to Joel Kimbooster who wrote this and Andrew on who are directing. Like they are, they are sort of my stewards through this. And I'm very, very lucky. Very, very cool. Um, one other thing I wanted to, to ask you about because uh, you know, you're, when you went on Weekend Update and addressed anti-Asian violence and anti-AAPI violence, I mean that was that was a real moment for you, and and you threaded that needle in in you know being funny, but also addressing a real important topic. And I'm sure like you know that that was that was a moment that you know I'm sure you put a lot of care into and in making sure you got it right, and you know it was sort of the right balance of, of how you wanted to do it. it. Take me through real quick that whole process and the reaction that you got uh, yeah. from that moment. Yeah. I mean, um, there was uh, never really a mandate from the show to write, to, 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 to address it in any way. Um, although there were just, you know, conversations about how, how comfortable I might be addressing it. So it was a bit, so, you know, from the top down, it was very sensitively handled and uh, I would have these conversations with um, one of the co-writers on the piece, Celestium, one of our new writers, they're incredible. And um, after, after, after that Monday of, of coming back to that show that week, um, 
you know, we, we, we tried to think of alternatives to write, to, you know, try to think of just general sketch ideas that had nothing to do with what was going on. And then by the end of the night, uh, Celeste texted me and went, you know, if we, you know, if not us, then who, like, if, if, if we don't, if it doesn't come from us in terms of addressing this, because the show does have this tradition of, of addressing tragedy, um, especially when the din of the tragedy sort of grows to, to that level, um, or when the tragedy grows to that din, I guess I should say, but, uh, we were like, okay, let's just try it. And so, you know, normally I, I, normally I work on a couple, couple pieces or three pieces a week. And that week, <coughs> excuse me, um, that week was the only thing I worked on because I think I spent seven hours on that first draft. And I was like, I don't, I think I'm just creatively spent, emotionally spent. This is all I can offer to the show this week. Um, and that was okay. And, and I, I only say that to illustrate how, weird and strenuous of a process it was and how how I had to sort of balance the rage with you know the the more compassionate aspects of it the political aspect I mean it was just there was just a lot there were there were a lot of plates to spin yeah um and then yeah uh it was it was just a really it was a really weird thing to do I'm glad I did it but uh have since like experienced this like weird like vulnerability hangover which i i i feel no way about i'm just like i'm just gonna let this sort of be where i live in with this for a little bit and um and move past it when i do that's bone yang emmy nominated star of nbc's saturday night live And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Danielle Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.